all say it together. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Thank you, worship team. That was great. Well, I'm grateful for the opportunity to be with you this morning and to open up God's word together. Uh, my name is Matt Bell, and uh, my family and I have attended Crossroads for about the last five years. Uh, I'm a Bible teacher in the Grand Rapids area at a school, and um, I know some of you, you recognize your faces. I attend the 11 service, but also, or 1045, excuse me. Uh, I attend this service, but also uh, recognize some of your faces from some of the elective classes um, that I've had the opportunity to teach here over the years, which I'm grateful for. So it's a pleasure, really an honor for me to be with you uh, this morning. Uh, I've really enjoyed this summer series that we're in. If you're uh, just attending today for the first time, we are in a summer series on discipleship practices or what might be known as spiritual disciplines. And I don't know about you, but I have uh, found this series to be rather refreshing. Um, as we talk about things like scripture reading and um, prayer and different practices, like Rod said a couple weeks ago, these spiritual practices, they're what help us to grow. They're what help us to change. Um, you can be a Christian and you can be a Christian for 20 years and realize that the needle has really not moved on your growth at all. And these practices really can be a catalyst to spark growth in your life. And so for me, um, it's been really quite refreshing and I hope that it's been the same for you as well. The practice that we're gonna talk about today or practices I should say are solitude and silence. And all the introverts are like, yes, okay. <laughs> um, but these practices uh, maybe hit a little bit different than maybe some of the more traditional ones like scripture reading or prayer, um, they're a little more mysterious, a little harder to attain, kind of nailed down. Um, and maybe in light of recent years, maybe practices that we kind of are more interested in avoiding. Um, but I hope, my hope that at the close of our time this morning is you'll see that these are actually practices that as we put them together and as we move into them, um, there are incredible things waiting for us in the solitude and the silence. So I just wanna start with a working definition. What do we even mean by solitude and silence? Obviously in those two words, we have a definition, right? Solitude, alone, silence, quiet, stillness. But those two things don't always go together, right? We have the experience of being alone but still being as chaotic and busy and hurried as ever. So just because we're alone doesn't mean that it's silent. And we can also be in a crowd and we can be the one that's quiet. So those two things don't always equal one another, but it's when I believe we put the two together and we practice them intentionally that we see what actually is waiting for us. Also, solitude and silence are different than what we've been talking about this summer because they're disciplines that don't add anything. Okay, think about scripture reading, right? Scripture reading, many of you, as we've talked more about the practice of scripture reading, Rod a couple weeks ago talked about Psalm 1 and delighting in the law of the Lord, delighting in the Torah and becoming that person. It's like the tree planted by the river that's sinking its roots into the riverbed. And some of you maybe are finding yourself drawn towards the scriptures more and maybe you're adding reading more into your life and meditating on scriptures. That's a, that's a discipline that you add 
right? Or prayer, having a conversational prayer life. Maybe you're finding yourself drawn to prayer with your heavenly father more. That's, that's a discipline that you add. Solitude and silence is not a discipline that you add, but rather it's quite the opposite. It makes space, right? So what we're really talking about today is a discipline that makes space in our lives, okay? They, uh, they don't add, but they take away. So I'd be willing to go out on a limb here and say that if I took a straw poll of the entire room and I said, raise your hand if you just find yourself regularly with an incredible amount of extra space in your life, right? There'd be very few hands that would go up because anytime we have extra space in our life, what happens? It fills up, right? Quickly, right? Rapidly. And so this discipline, I think, is such an important discipline because it teaches us how to intentionally make space in our life. So let's just talk a little bit about solitude, just a working definition of solitude. Solitude is intentional isolation. And I know I just used a word in 2022 that would be much different than if it was 2018, right? When you use the word isolation, it, like everybody just cringed a little bit, right? Uh, because we're thinking, well, aren't we, haven't we had enough isolation? Aren't we done with this? Matt, so help me if you say social distancing, I'm out of here, right? Okay, <laughs> that's not what we're talking about though. The key is in the phrase intentional. Intentional isolation, okay? Pandemic isolation and the discipline of solitude are not the same thing. First of all, you can't mandate solitude, right? It's a decision that you make as a disciple of Jesus. And I'm hoping that if, as we go through it this morning, you're recognizing that you really have no solitude in your life, that after we're done this morning, you will make that space in your life. Secondly, solitude and silence is not simply about distancing yourself, although it is about getting alone, okay? But it's about what you do in that solitary place that matters. Author and musician Andrew Peterson writes in his book, The God of the Garden, he says this, at odds with my great love of solitude is my great fear of isolation. Solitude is a choice. Isolation is inflicted. And I just wanna say that many of us maybe even still bear the scars of unintentional isolation, okay? Um, isolation that was thrust upon us for a number of reasons and we missed life events or key relational moments and so the idea of isolation is, uh, is a difficult one. And some of us are in isolation for different reasons right now. Maybe you moved away from family. Maybe there's a relational strain. Maybe you just find that the days are lonelier right now than you would like them to be. And so as I stand up here and I talk about solitude and I talk about intentional isolation, it's not a practice that sounds like a gift because it actually sounds a whole lot more like the experience that you're having daily that you really don't want anything to do with. And so I just say that from the outset because I just wanna say that I believe solitude really is a choice and that it is a gift. And I hope that as we go through that, you'll be able to see that. All right, so back to that working definition and I'm thankful uh, to Soul Shepherding Ministries for help with this definition. So here it is. What is solitude and silence? In solitude and silence, you are learning to stop doing, to stop producing, to stop pleasing people, to stop entertaining yourself, to stop obsessing, 
to stop doing anything except to simply be your real self before God and to be found by him. And all the note takers are like, could you please say that again? <laughs> or maybe a couple times. Okay, I'll say it again. In solitude and silence, you are learning to stop doing, to stop producing, to stop pleasing people, to stop entertaining yourself, to stop obsessing, to stop doing anything except to simply be your real self before God and to be found by him. That's what we're talking about. With that, I wanna invite you to turn to Psalm 19. And as you turn there, I wanna invite you to stand in body or spirit as you're able for the reading of God's word. Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them, your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. So this is one of my favorite Psalms of David. And uh, it, it may not seem like the obvious choice when talking about solitude and silence, but I believe that this Psalm, this song really of David answers the question, what are we listening for in the silence? So say you do actually take the time to get by yourself, right? You get alone. Some of you are like, that sounds really good, right? You enter into solitude. You quiet your heart. You quiet your life. You turn off the distractions. The question is, what's next? What are we listening for? What are we doing in that silence? Okay? If we're not the one speaking, what is? And at the beginning of Psalm 19, David declares that creation is already speaking. Right now, has been for a really long time. Creation is already speaking. Even though it has no voice, it can't stop declaring the glory of God. This is not a hard sell in a Michigan summer, am I right? 
right? We can look around and it's very easy to see that, that the heavens are declaring the glory of God. Um, I just got back from an annual dad's kids camping trip that I take with some of my friends every year to Ludington State Park. And this is um, a picture of one of the sunsets, one of the nights, right? It's absolutely beautiful. It's not a hard leap for me to get from that picture to the heavens declare the glory of God. That's a pretty easy jump for me. Creation is speaking constantly. Paul says it in Romans 1.20, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature, they have been on display in what he has created. You just have to look around. Creation is speaking, it's all around us. Creation has no voice, but it is an incredible storyteller. And if you stop long enough to listen, you will hear the long story that creation is telling. It's the story of a creator who didn't just create and then walk away from his creation because he was disinterested in what he had made, but it's a creator and a sustainer. It's the story of a creator and a sustainer who created in power and design and creativity. And in that creativity, there is goodness. It is a really good story. Creation has no voice and yet it still speaks. The heavens declare the glory of God. Now, I don't know if you saw it when we were reading in the Psalm, but David seems to take a really hard turn in the Psalm. I don't know if you felt it. If this is a song, it's a verse that just feels like it went country all of a sudden or something like that. He's talking about creation and then in verse seven, all of a sudden he says, the law of the Lord is perfect. You're like, that didn't feel like it fit, okay? In verse seven, the law of the Lord is perfect and then he launches into this whole thing about God's word, God's Torah. It refreshes the soul. It gives joy to the heart. It makes the simple wise. It gives, the li- it gives light to the eyes. It's sweet like honey. See, this is not a disjointed psalm. This is not disconnected because David knew something that we also know, but sometimes we forget. And that's that Torah or that's that the word of God speaks also. Right? This is not just a book of words, but like the author in Hebrew says, it's alive and it's active and it cuts to the heart. The, the word of God speaks. And just like we saw in Psalm 1 a couple weeks ago, Torah is not a list of rules, but it is life. And David in this Psalm, he's saying it gives instruction, it gives correction, it gives life, it gives wisdom. In other words, the scriptures are speaking and they are giving a long story. It is a long story, right? If you've ever tried to read it, it's a long story, but it is a story that speaks. It speaks of a creator who watched his creation rebel against him and then at every turn sought to dwell among. They're moving away, he's moving towards to dwell among his people and to call for himself a people by his name, right? A creator who redeemed and rescued his people, right? And the world that he loves, it's a really, really good story. The word of God speaks, It still speaks, it's alive and it's active. 
and sitting here today as new covenant believers. And what I mean by that is we can see Jesus at the last supper and he's holding up the cup and he says, the new covenant is in my blood. And sitting here as new covenant believers, I feel like David would be pleased to add a third song verse to Psalm 19 of what is speaking about the glory of God. And I think it would be inspired by Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2. And I have that on a slide for us. It says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, say this with me, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. God has now spoken to us through his son, Jesus, the word made flesh. In other words, God's greatest word that he could have ever spoken, he has spoken it in Jesus. God's greatest word that he could have ever spoken, he spoke it in Jesus. The divine nature and character of God is on full display in the person of Jesus. The heart of God is on display in the person of Jesus. The word made flesh speaks and it is a really good story that Jesus is telling with his life. All of this together, creation, the word of God, the word made flesh, Jesus, later the indwelling spirit, all of it is working together to speak about the glory of God. And we know the thing about glory, it's heavy, right? Kavod, it's heavy. And the other thing about the glory of God is it's easy to miss. It's really easy to miss. One of the interesting things is to watch the gospels and to see how Jesus actually models the practice of solitude and silence. When you imagine the gospels playing out, I don't know how you kind of imagine it playing out in your mind, but oftentimes we probably just put Jesus with a bunch of people around him. He's always teaching, he's always doing miracles. And that's pretty accurate, right? Jesus often had crowds around him. But then we come upon, uh, upon verses like this and I think they're really powerful moments. Um, in Luke 5, verse 15 and 16, it says this, Yet the news about him spread all the more so that the crowd of people came to hear him and be healed of their sickness. But look at this. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. This idea of lonely places, it's a word solitary or secluded um, it's this word, this phrase, aremos or aremos tapos. Uh, aremos is translated solitary or secluded or lonely. Sometimes it's even translated as wilderness. And tapos is just simply place. In other words, the Israelites wandered for 40 years in the aremos tapos. John the Baptist came preaching in the aremos tapos. Jesus was sent into the aremos tapos to be tempted by Satan. But yet notice in this passage in Luke, Jesus chooses the Aremos Tapos. He withdraws to the solitary place. We see it elsewhere in the gospels. In Matthew 14, we're told that Jesus dismissed the crowds and went on a mountainside by himself. He entered into solitude. 
In Mark 1:35, we read that Jesus got up very early while it was still dark and he went to a solitary place in Aramos Tapos. And later in Mark 6, it was so busy that Jesus actually withdraws his disciples and sends them to an Aramos Tapos, a solitary place. See, God often used solitary places to shape his people. And Jesus modeled solitude. Jesus modeled solitude. And if I'm a disciple of Jesus, and what I mean is if I'm learning what it means to live in this world as Jesus would live if he were me, if I'm a disciple of Jesus, the question I have to ask is, am I supposed to follow Jesus into this practice? Or is this something Jesus simply did because he was the son of God and he had a whole bunch of demands on him and I'm not the son of God, so this is something that I can just pass on. Let me say it a different way. Is watching Jesus participate in solitude something that's descriptive of something that Jesus did in his life or might it actually be prescriptive of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus and to follow him? Okay, so if we are to make space in our life, because that's what solitude and silence are, right? If we are to make space, if we are to attempt this practice to enter into it, I wanna ask the question, uh, what is against us? Because if we don't ask that question, um, some of us will find ourselves very frustrated right away and we may even be tempted to just give up. Okay, so what's against us? What should we know going into this? So I just wanna give you two realities of what waits for us in the solitude and the silence that we should be aware of. And the first thing is simply that solitude and silence are actually hard work. And I know that doesn't sound earth shattering. And I also know that some of you right now uh, are doubting me on that because all you've heard from me is, you know, maybe you spend a lot of time with small children or coworkers or roommates and you're like, you just told me that I can be by myself and it's gonna be quiet. Like, I am in. You don't even need to finish the sermon. Like, you could pray and send me on my way, and I'm ready to go, right? Um, but what I mean by that is it's actually, have you ever tried to be by yourself alone for an extended period of time intentionally? It's actually quite hard work. So um, go with me for a second here. Imagine that you, you know, kind of set aside, you make some space in your life, and you pull up Google Maps and you're like, I'm gonna go to a park because I can't do this at home. I'll think about all the things I have to fix on my house or something like that, right? Um, so you pull up a park and you go to this local park and you park your car and you find a little trail and you walk down this little trail and you find like there's like this little brook and it's babbling. You're like, this is really nice. And there's like a bench. You're like, I'm gonna sit on this bench by the babbling brook and I'm gonna have this like amazing time of solitude and si this is gonna be beautiful and you sit down on the bench, you take a deep breath, and you're like, I think I left my car unlocked, and I, I know I left my wallet in the car, and my license is in there, my credit cards are in there, somebody's probably breaking into my car right now. <laughs> I'm having a time of solitude and silence, and somebody's having a shopping spree at Target with my credit cards, right? like you're just barely in and your mind is just creating like all of these distractions to just keep you from actually having a moment, right? 
or you're creating a list of all the, like, the texts that you have to reply to or the emails. You're like, oh, I forgot to reply to my boss. He's gonna be so mad. I know he's sitting next to his computer right now awaiting the safe arrival of my email reply. He's refreshing his email as we speak. He's so mad, right? And you're like creating this list of everything you have to do or you're like creating grocery lists in your mind, right? You're already thinking about what you need to have for dinner. It's very hard to sit by yourself and to just be, right? Your real self before God. Um, not only is it hard work, but sometimes it feels very unproductive because it, it actually is, right? In a sense, you could be sitting there and going, don't you know what I could be accomplishing right now with this 20 minutes, 30 minutes? I could be doing a whole lot on my, on my to-do list. And the other thing about it is the hard work may just be in the fact that it's extremely uncomfortable, um, honestly, when I sit with myself for long enough, I sometimes don't like what I see. And David said this in his Psalm, right? He talked about his hidden faults and he talked about his sins and the things that kind of show up. And when I sit with myself long enough, I find that there's not a lot of things to hide behind in the solitude. There aren't a lot of fig leaves in the solitude, if you know what I mean, right? It's not a lot of places to hide. And it can feel very uncomfortable. So I just wanna tell you, if you try this practice, if you try to make this space, and if you're saying this feels like hard work, you're probably doing it right. And so the question is, will I do the hard work, the seemingly unproductive work, the often very uncomfortable work, or maybe a better way to say it is, will I let God use this space that I'm creating to do his work in me. The second reality that I just want to share with you, prepare you for is simply that our world is ordered against solitude and silence. Our world is ordered against solitude in that we never really have to be alone and it's also never really silent, right? My Spotify, Spotify playlist shuffles while I walk my podcast keeps me updated while I'm driving. My Netflix will autoplay to the next episode so I don't even have to touch a button, right? My notifications will keep me updated on everything. I mean everything, like everything. More than I even wanna know, right? Over and over and over again. Even while I was writing a sermon on solitude and silence, my computer notifications, my email notifications are popping up in the upper right corner, making sure I know that there's a deal at Best Buy right? And I'm like, oh, the irony. I want to walk down this road just for a few moments together, very gently with you. And I just, I just want to talk, I just want to talk about this for a minute, okay? Uh, some of you are like, I'm putting it away. No, that's not what I meant. Okay. Um, but I do, I want to do this with a little bit of a disclaimer. And here's the disclaimer. Whenever we enter into a conversation about technology, somehow it's assumed that we're just talking about the younger generations, right? That this is only about teenagers and the people in their 20s, but everybody else has this all figured out. And that's not true at all. Whether you're a digital native and technology is all you've ever known, like you were born with Wi-Fi, right? And you don't know what it means to be disconnected, right? Or you're a digital immigrant like me and you've had to learn your way into it. Like you can remember a time where you had to sit down at a box computer and you had to call the internet, and sometimes it said no. Like, sometimes you called and it was like, not now. And you're like, 
okay, I'll go back outside, I guess. Is five minutes good for you? Okay, all right. So, and some of you are like, I have no idea what you're describing. It's called dial-up internet. Google it later when you're on your Wi-Fi, okay? It's, it's a phenomenon. All right, whether you're a digital native or a digital immigrant, I just wanna say this. Our collective society has been completely transformed top to bottom. So this is not a singular generational conversation, okay? This is an us conversation. If you don't believe me, I was recently at a baseball game with my daughter where there was an elementary aged girl in front of us and she was streaming funny TikTok videos like the entire game, just swipe, 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 right? Laugh, laugh, laugh. That's what they do. And, um, and then right behind her, grandma was just streaming baking videos on YouTube the whole game, <laughs> right? Neither of them, I don't think, saw a single pitch in the baseball game, right? So this is like a, and they were having a blast. So this is a generational conversation. I'm an equal opportunity offender, okay? But in seriousness, here's, here's what I'm saying. I just simply want to ask us to consider the way in which our devices, in all of their advances and advantages, there are many, right? I am not gonna have like a, you know, buckets at the back of the room asking you to throw your devices away. That's not what this is about. I am just simply saying, our devices in all of their advances and advantages, how may they be helping us to hide our true selves and even tempting us to settle for a less compelling story? That's all I'm asking. Um, in her very thought-provoking book, Restless Devices, uh, Dr. Felicia Wu Song writes these words. I have them on the screen. Even as we succeed in multitasking our ways through the days in order to store up time to enjoy, when we try to rest, we are restless. And when we are restless, we reach for our phones and devices because in some curiously deep and unexplored ways, our bodies and our imaginations have forgotten what else there is to reach for. I find that to be deeply convicting. I think most of us believe that the relationship that we have with our device is represented by this picture. Right? Like we simply hold it. In reality, our relationship with our device is designed to look like this. Now you laugh, but that image will haunt you. It's a haunting image, right? Because the question is which one holds which? And if we're not careful, that's exactly how it will be, right? Am I stepping on any toes yet, <laughs> right? Later in her book, Dr. Song quotes a social psychologist, uh, Sherry Turkle, and she talks about this phenomenon of being digitally tethered. And what she means by being digitally tethered is actually a really interesting thing. She says, to be digitally tethered is more than any time in history, we are constantly connected to people that we love. And this is actually a, a really good thing. It's a pleasurable thing. Think about it. You could probably get many of your loved ones on the phone, on FaceTime, text them pretty rapidly, right? You are, we are digitally tethered to one another. And this is a positive thing, but she says, it can also serve as a crutch when we grow to become people incapable of solitude fearful of being alone with ourselves, 
and prone to turning to our screens and away from our immediate surroundings whenever we feel awkward, bored, or anxious. See, our world and our devices, they're ordered against the practice of solitude and silence. And we all know the feeling of as soon as we feel that moment of awkwardness or boredom or we feel out of our element, it's just easier to grab that device. And it has a way of breaking that moment of solitude and we can use it as a crutch. And I just wanna acknowledge this reality because if we don't acknowledge it, you can find yourself very frustrating if you try to enter into a time of solitude, you try to make that space and you feel like something is up against you. And the reality is something is up against you and we just have to be aware of it. If we could return to that sunset picture for a moment from the beginning. I just wanna give you a little bit of context for this picture. So at, at the camping trip last week, uh, I had walked up to, uh, out of my campsite to the dune and you can actually see like a further dune in the distance. Um, some of my kids were on that further dune and my intention when I left the campsite was I was gonna go find them and kind of watch the sunset with them. But then I got on that dune and I was like, man, that dune looks really far away. And I was really tired. And so, and they were having a lot of fun with their friends. So um, I actually just stayed on that dune by myself. Um, I didn't leave the campsite thinking, I'm gonna go have a, an intentional time of solitude and silence. But I found myself by myself, alone. It was quiet and the heavens were declaring the glory of God, right? And my first thought was, I should take my phone out, take a picture of that and post it. So everybody at home can see what I'm seeing right now, right? It's not a bad thought, right? Um, because if you don't post a picture of a sunset, it hasn't actually happened. It's like, the, it's the tree in the forest phenomenon, right? If nobody's around in here, if nobody posts the picture of the sunset, it doesn't actually set, okay? Just kidding. All right, so that was my first thought, but then I stopped myself, I stopped myself. And probably because I've been living with this passage for a couple weeks, and I just found myself looking and I just said, heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. See, the heavens were already speaking before I got up on that dune. And it was gonna be really easy for me to miss it, right? Now listen, I don't always do that. I don't wanna fake it and say I stand up here and I always quote scripture at the sunsets, okay? <laughs> and I did take the picture. <laughs> because you're looking at it. <laughs> I did take the picture, right? But just to allow myself a moment to let creation speak before I felt the need to broadcast anything to a social media audience so that they could see what I was seeing. And then I then felt like I had to go check to see if they saw what I was seeing and how do you feel about what you saw what I was seeing and why didn't you respond to what I saw, what you saw what I was seeing, right? And then get kind of caught in that loop. It was actually really quite liberating to just let creation speak for a moment and take myself out of the equation. So, where do we start? I just wanna give you a few practical ways. I'm hoping, some of you are like, I am gonna make some space this week. I'm gonna intentionally make some space. So I just wanna give you just a few practical things, few practical ways to get started right into this discipline to make that space. And the first thing I would tell you is to start small. Start small. If you, 
have not spent much time in intentional solitude or silence, having realistic expectations is really important or you're gonna get frustrated. You are not gonna be a Benedictine monk right out of the gate, okay? But start small, maybe 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. Maybe normally you would have turned on music or a podcast on your way to work, but maybe just this one drive this week, you're gonna turn it off and you're gonna drive in silence. And that's a really good step. Not every time. I'm not saying you can never turn on anything. Maybe normally you take your walk and you have your AirPods in, but maybe this one time you take them out and you just listen to the creation sounds on the trail around you. Again, maybe not every time, but maybe this time. Maybe normally when you wake up, the first thing you do is grab your phone to see what's been going on in the world overnight, but maybe you leave that phone charging. It's okay, the battery is optimized for it. It knows what it's doing. Leave your phone charging, go outside, sit on the step, and watch the world around you wake up. Watch the heavens declare the glory of God. Okay. Start small, just start somewhere. Secondly, meditate on scripture. This is where the other practices that we've been learning start to bear fruit in that space that you're creating. What comes to mind while you're sitting on that bench? What comes to mind while you're sitting next to that fireplace with the TV off? What comes to your heart and to your mind naturally, right? Joshua 1, don't let God's Torah depart from your mouth, but meditate on it. Psalm 1, blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and they meditate on it. Colossians 3, let the words of Christ dwell in you richly, right? Meditate on the scriptures. Remember, it's alive and it's active. Start with Psalm 19 even. Go back and reread it this week. And just say that line over and over again. Scripture speaks, and in the solitude, as you meditate on it, God can use it in profound ways. Just a third practical tip is don't make this into a checklist. Now, some of you are a little type A, right? And you're going, okay, how much time? Where do I go? Uh, what if it's not completely silent? How far does the closest person have to be for it to be counted as solitude, right? Um, if you do this, you're just not gonna start right? Um, just follow Jesus into the Aremos Tapos. Follow Jesus into a solitary place and rest a while. If you're there and you start to pray out loud, it's okay. If you're there and you start to quote scripture, if you're there and you start to sing, right? Follow Jesus into the solitude, into the silence. Set that time aside. Make space. Don't make it a checklist. And the last thing is really not a tip, but it's more an image that I just wanna kind of plant in your mind. And it's just simply this idea of abiding in Jesus. Abiding in Jesus. As we learn to sit before God and to stop doing and to stop producing and to stop pleasing people and to stop entertaining ourselves and to stop obsessing, to stop doing anything but accept to be our real self before God and to be found in him, this is a time to be reminded that we are a branch and Jesus is the vine. And that's his imagery from John 15. Right? As I sit there and I bring nothing with me, I say, Jesus, I am untethered from everything else. I, find my, I draw my purpose from you, Jesus. I draw my life from you, Jesus. 
I draw my identity from you, Jesus. Any fruit that I bear in my life, it's because of you, Jesus. I am a branch. You are the vine. And I don't think there's a better place than in the solitude and the silence when you're away from everything else and you're untethered and you're disconnected to say, I am a branch and you are the vine. And I think in that moment, Jesus will remind you of that as well. I wanna say one last word and then I'll pray for you. And that's simply about the idea of community. We've been spending a whole lot of time talking about being alone and being in solitude. So I'd be remiss to not mention the place of community because we sit here in a room with a lot of people and there's a reason for that, right? We are a body, we are a church, we are a part of something, a living thing, right? The body of Christ. And if we begin to practice solitude and silence with any regularity in our life, if we begin to make this kind of space in our life, we will actually begin to appreciate community, the church, the body more, and realize that we need a healthy amount of both. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, the German theologian known most for his um, resistance to uh, Hitler, he had these profound words to say, and uh, they are really rich. He says this, let him who cannot be alone beware of community. And let him who is not in community beware of being alone. Each by itself has profound pitfalls and perils. One who wants fellowship without solitude plunges into the void of words and feelings. And one who seeks solitude without fellowship perishes in the abyss of vanity self-infatuation and despair. See, if we only want community, if we only want fellowship, we always need people around ourselves and we're, we're not able to face the solitary moments and to face ourselves before God and to be real. And if we only want solitude and we ignore community, then we easily will become consumed with ourselves. Solitude and community, we need both. Listen, my hope and my prayer for each of you this morning is that these practices of solitude and silence do not simply feel as you leave today like something else that you have to figure out for your life, right? I know how that feels. Like, I know I should be doing that, but I don't do it, and now it just feels like a burden. But rather than something that you have to figure out how to add, that you would recognize that you are being invited into a space to create space, right? And that in that space, in that aremos tapos, that solitary space, you are being invited to real rest, true rest, to be yourself, to be found by God. And that you will find that in that solitary space, Jesus is already there. He's waiting for you, reminding you, you are a branch. He is the vine. The heavens declare the glory of God. The word of God speaks. Jesus himself, the word made flesh speaks. It all points to the glory of God. And I hope that we can pause long enough to see it. Let me pray for us, okay? God, thank you that before, before we even open our mouths, God, that you are already speaking. 
that the creation around us is glorifying you. God, that you have told a long story in your word, your active word. And God, that you have spoken the greatest word yet in your son, Jesus. And God, it is so easy in our world just to miss it, to miss all of the glory. And God, I just would pray, I, know, I just know there are people here that are just so burdened. They just feel like they just don't even know where to start to find space in their life because life is just so chaotic and it's so full. And the idea of adding space, it sounds like a really nice notion, but it doesn't sound realistic. And uh, my hope and my prayer really is that you might even just surprise them this week with some space, with some solitude and that you would show them that you're already waiting for them in that time uh, to give them true rest. Lord, help us to be willing to be ourselves before you, our real selves, to stop all the performing, the producing, the obsessing, God, to be our real selves before you and to realize that you already know who we are and to find our identity in you. God, we, we are branches to the mind of Jesus. So God, we draw our life from you. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray this. Everybody said, amen.